Uh, if you haven't already by habit, uh, if you're seated on the inside of the aisles on the outside section or here in the middle, if you would grab the attendance books and if you would sign them and pass them all the way to the outsides. I was talking to somebody this week about them not checking in with us. I hadn't seen their name and they said we were on the outside and the book didn't get that far. So I'm talking to all you middle people. Make sure the book gets all the way to the outside. But we do like to, uh, we like to keep up with one another. If you're visiting, thank you for being with us. We are so uh, blessed that you would join us this morning. And uh, if you have questions about Green Tree, uh, we're actually going to have a lunch after the second service today. Uh, welcome lunch. It'll be downstairs. And we would invite you to come and join us uh, right after the second service. Uh, if you have questions about Green Tree, you'd like to get to know us a little better, uh, that would be a uh, time for you to, uh, to hang out with us a little bit. Uh, in a couple weeks on November the 9th, about a week and a half actually, we're going to have a night of worship. We do these every once in a while, a couple of times a year, uh, where we just get together uh, for an evening of praise and worship. And that will be on 7 o'clock on Wednesday, November the 9th. So uh, a lot of us have enjoyed those over the years at Green Tree. Uh, and I would invite you, if you've never been to one or if you've been to all of them, uh, come out and join us on November the 9th. And then lastly, before we get to our teaching time, I want to thank everybody who helped with a harvest party. Uh, we have suffered through years of rain and snow and sleet and uh, all that other good stuff. We've had uh, nice weather, bad weather, and last Thursday was amazing. Uh, the weather was incredible. The volunteers, I don't know how many volunteers we had. It, ha it had to be well over 100 people volunteering. Uh, and I, we had, what, 1,200? Where's Jim Kerber? I saw him come in here earlier. How many, do how many hot dogs did we have? 1,250? It was like twelve or fifteen hundred, and they were all gone before the party was was over. Uh, so it was a great evening. So thank you for those of you uh, that pitched in by donations and by your time in helping us just have a, a great evening with our community. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Revelation chapter eleven. This is our final week in our series on Live It Up. We've been uh, spending the year looking at studying uh, our tagline here, at Green Tree. Dig in. Branch out and live it up. So this morning we come to uh, the conclusion of that. Four weeks from today, our Advent series begins. So uh, go outside and get a suntan this afternoon while you can. I guess it's going to get cold at some point and feel like Christmas. But today is the last time uh, we're going to spend time uh, in the, the question of live it up. So the last couple of weeks for me have not been live it up kind of weeks in the sense of uh, feeling great about uh, this world and about all the, all, all the opportunities that are before me. They've actually been a couple of very challenging weeks in, in my life. Uh, nothing, you know, no, nothing catastrophic, nothing's terribly gone wrong, but it's been uh, a bit of a challenge. And as I look back on just this last week and some of the things that have come across uh, my plate uh, and talking with friends who are having incredibly difficult times in their marriages, uh, in, uh, in, in counseling and encouraging uh, a friend who got some bad health news in the last week. Talking to friends who are dealing with unemployment. Uh, one of our newer church members uh, experienced the death of a parent this week. Um, I was in Colorado for a couple days with our church planters retreat and met uh, uh, again, with some of our very best and brightest church planters from around our denomination. And, and two or three of them were talking about their desire to launch their church, but the funds just simply weren't available and they didn't know when they were going to be able 
to begin uh, their ministries, and most of those are, are in urban settings. Uh, on top of all of that, the Cubs are in the World Series. <laughs> now, there's better news there because of the Indians, but sometimes, I'd like to apologize to you folks from Chicago, but I can't. Uh, and you don't have to apologize by killing us in hockey. It's, it's, I understand. It's okay. Uh, but sometimes it feels more like losing than it does uh, winning. Doesn't feel like live it up. Sometimes that's pretty elusive. And even in moments uh, of dark despair, it can feel like a cruel joke. I think the temptation may be to uh, come to Green Tree Community Church and because of uh, this beautiful new building that God has given us, think that everything is okay. And that if you're struggling or you're suffering this morning, that this may not be a place for you because after all, everyone seems to be very joyful uh, and smiling and happy. I can assure you that uh, the struggles here are also very real. And so as we came to the, the last opportunity for me to talk about this part of our tagline, I, I wanted to acknowledge the challenge that that is, but also wanted to point us to a passage that will call us to persevere. It will call us to trust. It will call us to believe that in the end, God overcomes, God is victorious, and we who place our faith in the Lord Jesus will be also with him. So listen, if you would, read along in your Bible or on the screen. Revelation chapter 11, and I should say Revelation uh, has eight different scenes uh, that uh, kind of run parallel to each other. A lot of people are under the misconception that Revelation is about just the end times, uh, and that's a very inaccurate uh, understanding of Revelation. Revelation tells us the history of the world from the time of Jesus' first incarnation until the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth, and it tells the same story over and over again, eight, seven different times. The eighth vision is just of heaven, but it tells that same story over seven different times from a variety of different angles. What we're going to read this morning is in the third scene of the book of Revelation and the culmination of history. Hear the word of God. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord Almighty, who is and who was for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints who tho and those who fear your name, both small and great and for the destroying of the destroyers of the earth. That's a comment about Satan and his followers. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, earthquake, and heavy hail. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, whether we come with heavy hearts or hearts filled with joy and thankfulness or somewhere in between those two, uh, every person in this room has experienced the brokenness of this world. 
Every person in this room, whether a disciple of Jesus or someone who is questioning and wondering and seeking uh, spiritual truth, uh, even to those who are perhaps just here out of politeness because someone invited them, but they, they really have no interest in faith, Lord, uh, we all have one thing in common. We've experienced suffering. Uh, it's either happened to us or to those we know and love. Uh, certainly none of us would claim that we live in a perfect world. We cannot be honest with ourselves and make such uh, a statement. Sometimes the suffering is distant, and sometimes it is very up close and personal. There are moments when we see disappointment in the faces of others, and then there are moments when we can hardly stand because of the disappointment that has pressed us down. There are times for your disciples when the face of Jesus is very clear, and we see him, and we know him, and we love him. There are other times when uh, he seems distant either because of our own sinfulness or because of the challenges that we face. So, Father, we are a needy people. Uh, we don't want pity. We don't want platitudes. We have a passion for your truth. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, this morning you would take this passage of Scripture and you would feed your people gathered together on your word that we would have a persevering hope. That we would know that the end of the story has already been written. And even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, we can fear no evil because you will never abandon us. And you will see us safely home. So, Father, we pray that you would emblazon that on our hearts and minds this morning. Forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of your teaching today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is going to be the easiest sermon in a sentence you've ever had in your lives. Two words. God wins. Okay? Let's all say that together. God wins. Now let's say it like we believe it. God wins. Now, I know that uh, for each and every one of us, there's, we're somewhere on the journey of I'm not buying it to I got it and I'm, and I'm living in the reality. And so what I want to do this morning is take a very honest look at the world in which we live through the lens of Revelation chapter 11, because Revelation 11 speaks back into the condition in which you and I live today, but it also gives us a great hope and a great promise for where we're going if our faith is indeed in Jesus Christ. And where we're going is the fact that God wins. I have four observations out of this text this morning. The first is this, that someday we will move from contempt to coronation. Someday we will move from contempt to coronation. In our day, and as it has been since he walked on this earth, Jesus has been uh, seen as somewhat of a mockery. Certainly in his trial, people made fun of him. They spit on him. People who, who lived during his day rejected him outright. And so we, we can see this in our own lives. We, we can just kind of listen to uh, the latest comedians, and it doesn't take long for people to be making a joke of Jesus. There are also moments when clearly his name is used uh, as, a, as a profane word of, of cursing. You know, you hit, your, you hit your thumb with a hammer, and you don't cry out in the name of Jesus, but rather you use it to curse what has just happened. 
Someday we'll move out of this, but for now we live in an age where Jesus in many regards is held in contempt. In fact, there are many places around the world where people are imprisoned for believing in the name of Jesus. We belong to uh, the EPC denomination, Evangelical Presbyterian Church denominations, the third biggest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. We have missionaries all over the world. And one of our missionaries two weeks ago in Turkey was imprisoned. His wife was in prison with him. She was released a couple days later, uh, and he's been charged with crimes of disrupting the state. Now, he's lived in Turkey for the last 15 years as a missionary, but now he's been put in prison. Uh, They won't allow any lawyers to see him. They won't allow any uh, Americans from the consulate to see him, and we don't know what's going to happen. That's all because he claims the name of Jesus. That's the age in which we live. Sometimes maybe you feel like the psalmist felt in in Psalm 137, where in speaking about the, the, the nation of Israel and being in captivity, being in a foreign land and their, their, uh, their captors making fun of them. So it says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? There are times when we feel that way, where how can, how can we sing the Lord's song with feels like we live in such a foreign land. And yet we see from this passage this morning, verse 15, that there's a day that's coming where all of that is going to change. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever. That's coronation language. That's proclamation language. You have two different things happening. You have trumpets blowing, uh, which in the Old Testament and in, in antiquity and literature throughout all, all literature, the, the sounding of the trumpet uh, can mean, one of the main things it means is the arrival of the king. There is a day coming when the coronation of Jesus will take place and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. In other words, God wins. Someday, this kingdom will come. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It's not in its fullest form yet. Today, it is a hope. It is a longing. It, it is a way, and I can't tell you how many people say to me on a regular basis because uh, somehow they think maybe pastors know this. Do you think that Jesus is coming back in our lifetime, right? And I, and I, and I said, well, he, you know, when he called last week, what he said was <laughs> that I could know, but you couldn't. So I can't tell you, but yes, I, I know. Um, you know, Jesus himself said nobody knows but the Father at the time of, of the Son's return. But, but, I, but I never hear anybody ask me that question like, like they don't care. Well, do you think Jesus is coming back or not? It's always with a sense of anticipation, right? It's always with a, with a heart of longing. Do you think, I mean, look, look how tough things are. Do you think maybe Jesus is going to come back in our lifetime? And I hope he does. But by the way, he hasn't called lately and let me know. But I hope he does. That would be amazing to see the, the coming of Christ because this kingdom, this broken kingdom of the world is going to be put back together. 
and that day will arrive at some point. It's almost like you're, you're engaged to be married and it, it's some number of months before you get married, but you and your spouse, you and your fiance aren't in the same city. You're not in the same town. When Cindy and I were engaged, the, we got married in November and the, the summer before we got engaged, we were together, but then she went home uh, about the middle of August to Colorado Springs and we weren't back together again until about the fourth or fifth of November, we got married on the seventh. So those two and a half months felt like 10 years. It felt like it was never going to get there. You know, we talk on the phone and we, you know, we'd write letters back when you wrote letters and you couldn't just, you know, send a text message, you know, everybody under 20 is going, you did what? I'm sorry. I'm postage stamp, two words for you. You can learn that today. Um, and, and, you know, and, and you called long distance and we were both broke. So we could only talk for about five minutes because, you know, you couldn't even afford to, to talk on the phone. But I couldn't wait for the day to come when she would return. It's that kind of emotion that, that, that fills our hearts when we read this verse that the kingdom of this world is going to become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Hope in the, the world of suffering. Hope in, in a world of death. Hope in a world of hatred and, and bigotry. Uh, it's interesting to me, the conversations I've had with a lot of believers uh, over the slogan, Black Lives Matter. And it's astounding to me that, that we're, we're more concerned with what the slogan might mean or might not mean or who it includes or, or who it doesn't include. I, I, I've been in dozens of those kind of conversations. I've yet to be in a conversation where somebody says, well, if it's true, what should the church do? I think at times we've lost sight of this truth. The fog has covered our eyes. And I'm not making a political statement this morning. Don't misunderstand me. But the church of Jesus Christ is called to step in where there's injustice and where, there, where there's brokenness in this world. Because we know that the kingdom of this world is going to become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And to that end, we work with all of our energy today, acknowledging that his kingdom will be a kingdom of justice and mercy for everyone. I was talking with a, or, or listening to a, an ex-church planter talk at a meeting I was in yesterday morning, and he was talking about the failure of his, his new church, which was several years ago. He, he, he's, it's probably five or six years in the rearview mirror. But he was talking about the place where they, they had begun their church, and it was in the south part of St. Louis in the city, and he talked about the people who made up his congregation. And he was explaining, this is why it, it didn't make it. This is why it, we, we couldn't go on. Because the people that came to our church were very, very poor. They were ex-cons. They were people who, who on, in some occasions, were still uh, addicted to alcohol or to drugs. They, weren't, they, they were still dealing with those things. There were prostitutes that were coming to our church. And he said, in the, kind of where the, the straw that broke the camel's back was we, we had some folks who would come to church and there was another church that was loaning them uh, their, their part of their building and they would, they would steal the money out of the soda machine. Right. And so finally they realized the handwriting was on the wall. They couldn't go on uh, and so they closed down. And yet as I read the gospels, the poor, the prisoner, those who, who, who are having to prostitute themselves simply to keep body and soul together, those are the people that Jesus came for. Those are the, that's the example he set. He was the one that went to the poorest of the poor. How can our church, and I'm not blaming Greek, it wasn't our church plan, but how can our, our church plan fail simply because they're ministering to the poor? Do we really believe that this kingdom will become the kingdom 
of our Christ. Now we have a limited influence. Now we are encouraged to stay out of the public arena. Now we're told that religion is private. The gospel is brushed aside. But notice the last phrase here. The kingdom of, has become of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus is both Lord, which means he is king over all, and he is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of God, and his lordship and his salvation will never end. And that's great news for you and for me today if our faith is in him, because it's not just for this world. It's not just for this lifetime, but it's for eternity. For eternity, God wins. Someday we'll move from contempt to coronation. Secondly, someday we'll move from fool to fellow worshiper. Look at verse 16. Just going to spend a moment here. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Now you and I perhaps at times feel lonely. Perhaps we feel isolated. We, we sense that no one really understands our struggles and we're, we're almost embarrassed to talk about them for fear that others will think less of us. There are times where we feel insignificant. There are also times where we feel rejection because we love Christ and others around us don't. In fact, I was, uh, I was on a plane uh, about three months ago and a woman sitting next to me asked me what I did and I told her I was the pastor of a, of a church in St. Louis, Missouri and that I also helped start other churches around the country. And she looked at me with just that look, you know, and she said, isn't that nice? I can't say what I thought, but it wasn't nice. But that's this world, right? You've experienced that. You've probably had that, that exam, the exact type of interaction with someone, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe, maybe a child or a spouse who looks at your faith and, and thinks, well, that's nice, but keep it away from me. And at times we're called fools. We're accused of being naive in this broken world. And yet what we see in the representation of the 24 elders is a picture of all people of faith coming together, all people of faith in Christ coming together in a unified act of worship. So a little interpretive work here, 24 elders, uh, the 24 elders, you divide those in two, that's 12 and 12, and they represent the 12 tribes of, old, uh, of, of ancient Israel. So we have the Old Testament people of faith represented, and then you have the 12 other elders, which represent the 12 apostles. In other words, we have the, the New Testament and beyond today, the present-day Church of Jesus Christ representative. So when you see this, this picture, what we're seeing is a picture of everyone who has faith in Christ is falling on their face before him, and they're worshiping. It means that we'll get home. It means we'll make it. And it means that God wins. Thirdly, not only will we move from contempt to coronation or from fool to fellow worshiper, but someday we will move from reason to reality. The reason is just, just kind of knowing what's coming, believing what's coming, studying about what's coming, but it's not yet here. But someday it will be reality. Today, you and I, if we're disciples of Jesus, we have a hope in him. We have a longing for him. We have a trust in God. We, we, we know ultimately that we believe he will win. 
Occasionally we see glimpses of his strength and his power and his majesty. But one day he will reign with great power. Look at verse uh, 17 here. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Now, God is reigning today. Don't be confused by this. God isn't busy somewhere else and, and, and the world is running amok and, and all the sin and confusion and brokenness in this world is a result of God not being in charge yet. It's like Satan's kind of winning and then maybe God's kind of winning and then Satan's kind of winning. God is reigning today, but there's a transition that's going to take place because in his patience, God has not brought us to judgment yet. The gospel age is today. It is still time for us to bear witness to Christ and to invite others to put their faith in him and come into his kingdom. But one day this age will end. And at that moment, God will enact his reign in a way that we have not yet seen, in a way that will be visible to us. It will be our reality. Now it's a hope there will be a day when it comes to reality. But also notice on that day, there's a somberness to the message as well because there is a day when all will be called to account. The nations raged, but in your wrath, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged. God is going to hold all of us accountable, either for our faith or the lack thereof. Now we live in a day of rebellion. We live in a day when, when God is rejected where at times his people are hated, as we've said, in the United States, it's probably more of a contempt. It's probably more of a, of, of a, of a mockery and laughing. But in other countries, as I've noted this morning, it can be as much as being martyred, being killed for your faith. And if we're honest, we would say, if you just kind of looked at the circumstances around us, you might say, it seems like God isn't winning. And yet the author of Revelation, the apostle John, has shown a vision where God will judge, and God will be the final judge. And it doesn't how, matter how much the nations rage. It doesn't how much they push back and rebel against God. There will come a time when God will exert his authority, and we will be called to account. Every person will be called to account. And those who have rejected Christ, it will be a terrible day. If you want to know why I'm so passionate about evangelism, about talking to people about Jesus. I had another Uber rider last week. We spent from Kirkwood all the way down to the Cheshire talking about Jesus because I don't want anybody to face the judgment of God outside of his grace and his mercy when it's freely offered to all. How can we allow ourselves to be shouted down when it, those who are shouting against us will suffer the judgment of God and have to account for all of their acts if they don't put their faith in Christ. There will be a day of accounting, but also there'll be a day of reward. Now is work and toil. It's an uphill climb, so to speak, with, with, with no end in sight. But there's coming a time, as you see, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, that's the Old Testament, the saints, the New Testament, and those who fear your name, just to, to make sure the list is, is rounded out. There's a time coming when God will tell us that the work is done and now is the time to, to rejoice with him. So I don't know how many of you have ever uh, been out in Colorado or in another part of the, the world where you've climbed to, to a high peak. I know I look right now like I couldn't climb a high peak and I probably couldn't now. But years ago, I climbed uh, the fifth highest peak in Colorado. It's La Plata. 
And I think I have a picture of that. Uh, and that, that actually isn't a picture of me, but that is the picture of the peak. And it looks like, but I walked right, I walked right through there. It looks like those folks are, are right next to the peak. And that's the problem with climbing a 14er. The problem with climbing, you're laughing because you've done this, Monica. The problem with climbing 14 is you think you're there and it's just another false summit and you got to keep going. And then you get there, you're like, we're there. Nope, that's another false summit. And then we're there. Nope, we're not. And it seems like you're never going to get there. And it just goes on and on and on. And I think there are times in this world where the toil and the stress and the hurt and the brokenness that we deal with in this world on a daily basis makes us feel like we're there. No, we're not. It's just exhausting and we're worn out and we're just not sure that God is going to win. And yet you do reach the peak. That's what John tells us in Revelation chapter 11. We will reach a day where we're rewarded. If you could go to that next slide for me, the reward is, and that's not me or my dog, uh, but I stood right there. I do have pictures of it. I just couldn't, couldn't find them because they're so old. I think they were black and white. Um, but the reward is to look out at the majesty and the glory, to see what's below and to know you've risen to the top so that you could see it. And there'll be a day when God says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Come now and enjoy the spoils of your master. They're, they're all for you. The splendor of everything that God has provided will be a reality for us. There will be a day when the prize is ours and we will be with God face to face forever and ever. Why? Because God wins. Now we live in a time of social and economic disparity. We live in a day of racism and favoritism and cronyism. And some lives seem to matter more than other lives. Even in the, in the simplest forms in our culture, in our society. We were out to dinner last Sunday night. Cindy and I were with uh, a couple, uh, a woman she works with and her husband. Uh, and we were talking about Kirkwood. And we were talking about the challenges of education in our community. And we were talking about the, the notion of uh, not wanting high school students to talk about the, the gap, the education gap uh, between what, they, what, what some students know and what other students know and, and how wide that gap is. You can graduate from high school you know, with, with about a, a seventh grade education. Now, that's not a knock on our public schools. I'm, I'm not anti-school at all. I'm just saying that there's a gap that's there. And the gap tends to be also, if you look at it, there tends to be a lot of socioeconomic and even some race issues that, that cause that gap. And that's just the reality of the world in which we live. And so we were talking about this and we realized that there, there's a program in our town called Early Childhood Development. And Early Childhood Development is a wonderful preschool program. And when those kids that come out of Early Childhood Development hit kindergarten, they hit the ground running. And, and what they're doing in kindergarten is like what I was doing in fourth grade. I mean, it's, it's amazing what, what opportunities they have to learn just because they've had these couple of years at Kirkwood Early Childhood Development. But that's not part of our district. Our, our taxes don't pay for all that. You have to pay to go to Kirkwood Early Childhood Development. And there are a lot of families in our community that can't afford that. So where does the education gap begin in beautiful Kirkwood, Missouri? At kindergarten. Those kids are behind at kindergarten, and they may not ever catch up. We ought to be able to do something about that. We, we ought to be able to figure out a way to make sure 
that that brokenness of the world is addressed by the community of faith in a way that says that every child in our community matters to us. And we're going to make sure that the gospel is lived out in our lives because we're coming to a day, if you could go to that next slide, we're coming to a day where notice how this, this is given to us by John, right? Who's being rewarded? Those, the prophets, the saints, those who fear your name, both small and great. God's love knows no boundaries. It, no, it knows no limitations. It certainly isn't given to the smartest and the brightest and the best. Rather, it's given evenly to all who will put their faith in Christ. And our attitude as a church ought to reflect this, that we care for the smallest of the small. We care for those who are beloved by God, but in this day and age aren't getting the help that they need because they aren't as important to the world. We're going to be in a kingdom where God's justice and mercy wins. Perhaps today we could live that out in a very practical way way to his glory and for the good of others in our community. One last observation of this text. Someday we're going to move from contempt to coronation. Someday from fool to fellow worshiper. Someday we'll move from reason and, and hoping and waiting to reality. And then simply the last observation here is exclamation point. John is given a vision that drives this home. In case we're wondering if God has the authority or the power to do this, John gives us a very, uh, a very powerful vision of a lot of uh, natural things happening with lightning and thunder and, and earthquakes and hail. But notice where we are. We're in the temple of God. We're in a place where the only way to describe the presence of God is to say, have you ever been in an earthquake where the whole world around you is shaking? Have you ever been in a hailstorm? And I've actually been in a hailstorm and, and when I've been doing some hiking years and years and years ago in Colorado and there's no place to run and there's no place to hide. You just got to hunker down and hope it doesn't hurt too bad. Right? If you've ever been in a hailstorm, if you've ever been uh, on, on outside where there's lightning and thunder and you're just trying to run for cover and to get, get away and get under something because it's so overpowering. That's the picture that John is painting. Now we get to see God and it's awesome and it's amazing. And God's judgment is complete. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen. Here we are at the very end of the Bible, the very last chapter of the Bible and that word covenant comes back up. The ark of God's promise, the ark of God's commitment to you and to me and every other person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, it was seen within his temple. The flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder and so on and so forth. The judgment is complete and now what? God's opening the door and saying, come on in. Come on in. We're going to be together. This is a kingdom that unites. And we see both God's grace and his power fulfilled along with his promise. They're on open display God's temple in heaven is open. The Ark of the Covenant, those are, that's grace language. That's reminding us that God made a promise to save and he's going to fulfill that promise. It's also a, prom, it's also a picture of power and majesty. So today, if you're like me, you've had a, a hard week or two and, and maybe you're, you're struggling a little bit with the challenges of life. Uh, maybe you said challenges, I've got challenges galore right now. <laughs> And you've lost sight, perhaps like I've lost sight in this last week or two, of what it means to really rest in God's grace and trust in him. Perhaps this passage this morning will help us with the struggle and the hurt and the pain 
It will help us with the doubt uh, with which we struggle, thinking, you know, evil maybe perhaps is having the upper hand because what John has shown and what Jesus is telling us today is it's just temporary. It's a blink of an eye. And then we'll be with him. We'll be with the one who made the promise to save. And so we can live it up now. We can live life to the fullest now for one simple reason. God wins. Let's pray. Father, I... I, think this morning of the words of the songwriter, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Father, our hope is not that we will persevere in our own strength. Our hope is not that, uh, that we'll be smarter and stronger and, and, uh, and more creative than, than other Christians and other churches and that, that somehow we'll, we'll pull ourselves through. Uh, Father, our hope is in the Lord Jesus and in this passage this morning that tells us ultimately the veil will be torn away. And what we have now is a hope and a promise will be our reality forever. So Father, I pray for uh, not only myself, but my brothers and sisters here who perhaps are struggling right now. The, we've come to another false peak and we, the trail just seems like it's never going to end maybe because of health issues, maybe because of relational issues. Uh, Lord, you know everything that every person in this room is facing. So I I just want to pray this passage over us, that we would remember that you win, that you will reward your people, that you will be with us forever. Father, strengthen us with the truth of this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.